Hey folks, before we get to the next episode of Voices in My Head, I wanted to ask you to consider leaving a tip at my website, rickleejames.com. It's always going to be my intent to offer you this podcast for free, but the reality is that there are production costs involved. Things like recording equipment updates, domain name costs, Skype credit for guest phone calls, providing the Rick Lee James mobile app for free listening, and frankly, earning a little something for the hours of preparation it takes to bring you new podcasts every week. I know it's a tough economy, and that's why I want to keep this podcast free. But if you are enjoying the podcast and would like to swing a couple dollars my way, then come by my website at rickleejames.com, click on the tab that says Tip Jar, and leave whatever amount you feel able to give through PayPal. It's like when you're at one of my concerts and I leave a tip jar in front of the stage. Now, if you can't afford anything, please don't bother to give me a tip. And if it came down to supporting me or supporting a hungry person suffering from poverty, then by all means, give to them. But if you can, swing a few shekels my way, I'd be very grateful. That's all for now, so sit back and enjoy today's podcast. Blessings to you all. Live from Springfield, Ohio, it's Voices in My Head. The official podcast of Rick Lee James. I am Rick Lee James, and you're listening to Voices in My Head. If you hear this voice today, do not turn in the window. Welcome back, listeners, one more time to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. I have to tell you, of all the podcasts that are out there on the internet and the world of iTunes and Podbean, this podcast is one of them. Thank you for choosing me today. We have an exciting show for you. Once again, we have an interesting guest, which I'm excited to uh, share with you today. have a few things to get out of the way as we begin today. First, I wanted to let listeners know something that you may not have heard about before. The Rick Lee James mobile app is a free download you can get online from the iTunes and Android app stores. On this app, you can find nearly all of my recorded music. You can get photos, videos, news, concert dates, band info. Um, you can get links to uh, to take you to Twitter and Facebook pages, and every week you can hear the latest episode of this podcast, Voices in My Head, uh, usually before you can hear it on iTunes without having to download anything. You can just hear it straight through the app. And how cool is that? No download needed. You just have to have the app and you can hear it. And the best news is it's absolutely free. So if you have an iPod Touch or an iPad or an iPhone or Android mobile phone, I think pretty much everything but BlackBerry, you know, you can use it. But who cares about BlackBerry, really, anyway? Am I right, Chris Grinrod of WEEC? It's an inside joke between the two of us. Sorry. I uh, also wanted to take a moment just to uh, let listeners know about the Voices in My Head, uh, the Rick Lee James podcast Facebook page. Um, it's kind of a long title, but we actually do have a small but growing community of people over there on the Facebook page. So if you're on Facebook sometime and you look up Voices in My Head, the Rick Lee James podcast, it'll take you to my page. Click like, and you can be a part of our community. You can add input. Uh, let me know what you think. You can be a part of Question of the Week. Um, 
Also, I'm requesting that uh, if you have not done so yet, that you go to iTunes or Podbean.com or both and leave a review. Uh, These reviews actually help people to know what this podcast is all about. And the more reviews we get, the more visibility we get on places like iTunes and Podbean. So if you like what you're hearing or even if you don't like what you're hearing and you want to leave a bad review, uh, feel free and, and go over there. We are open to all people of all opinions. And... Finally, um, I want to let you know if you didn't hear at the end of the show, if you don't wait around that long for the very closing um, end when I talk again, uh, we do have a listener line, and the number is 937-505-0162. Uh, it should just charge you if you're using a cell phone, just a, a normal cell phone call if you're nationwide plan. Uh, shouldn't be much more than that. It's, I couldn't afford to get an 800 number, but one more time, 937-505-0162. I'm still waiting on the first listener to use this line and record a message for the show, and you can actually get free stuff for calling that line and leaving a message. You want to know how you can get free stuff? Well, the first listener to call and tell us what you thought about Episode 3, the Daniel Die episode, uh, you'll get a free Daniel Die and the Miller Road Band CD, and Daniel has graciously offered this. All you have to do is call and tell us what you thought of the episode with Daniel Die on it. And make sure and check out Daniel's music while you're at it. He was live in studio on Episode 3, and he brought his banjo, and he played a song for us, and it was fantastic. Uh, The second person to call will get a free... Batgirl comic book from the new DC 52 so free stuff and all you have to do is try out our phone line leave a message uh, on the voicemail line and you'll actually get to hear yourself on the podcast that's the benefit of this Uh, you can tell us what you think or just whatever's on your mind for the voices in your head you can tell us what's going on with you so uh, feel free especially if you ever wanted to be on the voices in my head podcast and you haven't been a guest on the show this is your chance to be a guest on the show uh, 937-505-0162. That's all I'm going to say about that for now. We're going to get on with this episode, and we're going to have Question of the Week. Question of the Week. Question of the Week was not the usual superhero question that I've had uh, in the past. Uh, the question this week was, if you had to choose between waffles or pancakes for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Now, I probably didn't word it very well. It wasn't that the only food you could have the rest of your life was waffles or pancakes. The option actually was if when it came down to a choice, you're at the breakfast table and the choice was between waffles and pancakes, you had to make the choice that would decide for every time in the future waffles or pancakes. So that means, you know, there's not a lot of room for changing your opinion on this one. If you say waffles the rest of your life, if the option is waffles or pancakes, you have to choose waffles. Or if you choose pancakes for the rest of your life, you have to choose pancakes. It doesn't mean that all other food is ruled out. You can have other things. You can even have other syrupy things. But the question was between waffles and pancakes, and I gotta tell you, uh, we had more responses on this than any previous question of the week so far. We had responses from both our Facebook page and from uh, rickleyjames.com. We had some listener comments I want to share. Glorious Lampris Rudd, um, I hope that I'm saying the name right. Actually, I believe it was Gloria Rudd, um, says, Really wish I could have them. I guess she was just craving some waffles or pancakes, not sure which. Brandon Hancock says, uh, Although I'd probably choose the sweet potato bread French toast, at Young's Golden Jersey Inn over pancakes. But most of the time, pancakes win hands down. 
So uh, that's okay, though, because it wasn't between pancakes and French toast. It was between pancakes and waffles. So you can have your pancakes and your sweet potato bread French toast from Young's Jersey Dairy, uh, the Golden Jersey Inn. So, by the way, Young's is delicious. Maybe I could get a sponsorship from the show from Young's. Um, but maybe I could just get free French toast. I don't know. One of those things. But that was from Brandon Hancock. Um, Matthew Cole wrote in. Matthew Cole was our, our guest a couple weeks ago on the show. Or was it just last week, I think? Yeah, last week. Um, how soon I forget. Um, Matthew wrote this eloquent soliloquy about waffles. He says, Waffles give us the escape from the world of chaos that there is order. A neat nice pocket to be filled with butter with syrup with peanut butter chips or all other sorts of goodness waffles are a breakfast glimpse of the order of the new heavens and the new earth that will come with the reign of the risen lord and besides it just doesn't fit when donkey says and for breakfast i'm making pancakes or for breakfast i'm making french toast uh, Shrek would have tossed the old boy out of the house right then and there at such an insult to his early morning culinary hopes and dreams. It is waffles that save the land of far, far away, and it is waffles that may one day bring hope to this planet. And then with big exclamation points, he says, Lego! So, uh, that is a very passionate, uh, thing about Matthew, or about waffles. Thank you, Matthew, for sharing that. Well, the winner this week between waffles and pancakes somehow is drumroll french toast now five people on the facebook page voted for waffles six people voted for pancakes and eight people voted for french toast and at rickleyjames.com 67% said pancakes and 33% said waffles but the option that won was not even one of the options on the list. The question was waffles or pancakes. And someone wrote in French toast. Well, French toast ended up winning, and I don't think it's fair. So I did some investigating. This terrible deed was started by Kyle Northrup of the Three Pasty Nerds podcast. That's right, Kyle Northrup, who's going to be a guest on our show here very soon. He actually wrote in French toast, and it overtook the waffles and pancakes, so we don't really have a fair decision as to who would win with waffles and pancakes because French toast was thrown in there to throw us off. So, Three Pasty Nerds podcast, I am doing a throwdown. It's the Three Pasty Nerds throwdown right here. I am coming at you guys, Three Pasty Nerds. A podcast that rivaled to us, started about the same time of us online. Now, in order for us to do this throwdown, this fight, this fight or this feud maybe between my podcast and theirs, I want you to go to the Three Pasty Nerds Facebook page. Go to it, even right now. If you're at your computer, go to the Three Pasty Nerds Facebook page and put a link to my podcast Facebook page on their site. Now, you have to like their site, too, while you're there, because this is a friendly fight, after all, and we want to help them out. Um, but do that. Go. This is our this is our feud. I got this idea from the Sci-Fi Christian Podcast. They have a, a podcast feud, sci-fi feuds over there. So I'm having a feud right now with the Three Pasty Nerds 
podcast. So check out their podcast too and uh, go to their Facebook page with the link of my Facebook page. So all you have to do is go to the Voices in My Head, the Rickley James um, podcast Facebook page, copy from the address bar, my address, take it to their site, click like, and then put uh, my my podcast address bar in their site so that'll teach them right and hopefully get them a few likes along the way they're trying to break 100 and then kyle's going to do something crazy so uh anyway check that site out they're a great bunch of guys except for kyle who i have this feud with from the three pasty nerds podcast calling you guys out for the three pasty nerds voices in my head podcast throwdown all right well make sure you do that we may never know who really the winner was between waffles and pancakes, but uh, it's going to be a fun little feud that we're starting anyway. Well, let's move on to the next segment of our show. Well, it's the practically useless guitar lesson. Yeah! The practically useless guitar lesson of the week is a song uh, taught to me by... Gary Welch of Louisville, Kentucky, long, long ago when I was just a younger man. I don't want to say young because I'm still, I think, fairly young at the age of 34, but a younger man. Um, this song is called Jailbreak, and it's for all of you out there who want to simulate the sound of a jailbreak. You take your guitar pick, you put it on the string, and you rub it back and forth, and it makes this sound. <laughs> Yeah, jailbreak. On this week's Practically Useless Guitar Lesson, we encourage you to take that useless information and make good use out of it. You have been listening to the Practically Useless Guitar Lesson. Good luck with that. Good luck with that, indeed. Do you guys like how I use Stairway to Heaven at the end of that to close out that lesson? I mean, uh, it's probably the bane of most guitar players to have that on there, but I just thought it was funny. Well... At rickleyjames.com, I have a place there that also has become a segment on our show, and here it is. Stuff Rick Likes. That's right, Stuff Rick Likes. It doesn't have to be stuff that you like necessarily, but it's certainly stuff that I like. And I added a new section on my website this week. It's maybe, uh, I don't know, I guess it could kind of be a subsection of the stuff Rick likes. But I'm a part of an artist community called CD Baby. And uh, they do distribution for myself, my music, and a whole lot of other artists. I think there's several thousands of other artists on there, actually. So I don't know them all personally. But I started a segment on my a segment. I, I started a place on my website. This is the segment, um, but a place on my website called Rick's Favorite CD Baby Artists. And I thought this might be the best way to let you guys know some of the music that I like. Usually, you can't find um, necessarily all these people's music on the radio. Although, with a few exceptions, the, there are some that have made it uh, on for some radio play. But for the most part, independent artists, they're usually just as good as the people you hear on the radio, uh, and a lot of times a lot better. It's just that they don't have the big coverage of the big uh, corporations uh, pushing them, like record labels and stuff. So I wanted to uh, make you aware of some of my favorite artists and some people who just, frankly, are kind of breaking the mold as far as music goes. And if you go to that section, you can actually uh, click on these people's albums on my page, and it'll take you 
uh, excuse me, take you to a link where you can hear more of their music. Um, I put on there Michael Logan, who does folky pop, acoustic rock music. Uh, Mike came out and did one of my picking party shows about uh, a little over a year ago. And uh, he's just last night had a song on One Tree Hill on uh, on television, and uh, he's had several songs on several TV shows. He's got a track on Kelly Clarkson's new album. Um, Daniel Dye, who was a guest on our show just a few weeks ago, um, just a great Americana folk artist. Uh, you can go and find more of his music there through my site. Eric Vinson, an old, old friend of mine. Actually, was Eric's youth pastor at one time. He does a folk, uh, acoustic folk, pop, Christian-type music, um, although uh, it's only Christian, most of it, because he's a Christian. A lot of it's just good music, and we talked about before how, you know, um, you know, there's not like a Christian rock or a Christian tree or a Christian cloud. It's just all good music, and it just happens to be made by a Christian. Um, there is the contemporary Christian rock of Ted Rastatter. Um, there's music by Andy Osenga, or Andrew Osenga, who's an experimental modern folk rock guy. Uh, he does amazing music, very original stuff. Phil Keggy Trio, uh, he has put a instrumental progressive alternative rock album out, and if you've been listening to Phil Keggy for some years, you know that he's fantastic. The list goes on and on. Robert Randolph from the Family Band, Pete Thorne, a modern rock guitarist who did a fantastic album. Um, I've only got to hear one of his albums, and I, I bought it on iTunes um, fantastic guitar player just amazing uh so you want to check out people people that i've even mentioned on the show in the past like keaton simons are on that page uh regina specter matt albert gangsta grass who literally mixes bluegrass music with gangster rap which is just kind of an interesting combination very very original so go check some of those guys out there's blues music on there by ray fuller there's sons and daughters contemporary christian worship stuff i think you'll find a little bit of everything and if you like your, their music you can actually buy their music straight through the links on my webpage um, and find out a little bit more about them so that's it. Don't forget the uh, the section on my website, rickleyjames.com, Stuff Rick Likes, and also this new segment, which is called Rick's Favorite CD Baby Artist. They are worth checking out. You should try it, man. This week, I had a special guest on Voices in My Head. Dr. Trip York joined me for a conversation about his new book, The Devil Wears Nada. Dr. York has authored many books, including The Purple Crown, The Politics of Martyrdom, Living on Hope While in Babylon, Third Way Allegiance, Donkeys and Kings, and Other Tales of the Bible. That's spelled T-A-I-L-S. Um, he wrote another book called Anesthesia, A Brief Reflection on Contemporary Aesthetics. And his newest book, The Devil Wears Nada, published by Cascade Books. I literally, folks, could not put this book down. I read it all in one sitting. It took me about four and a half hours because I'm not the fastest, I guess, or the slowest reader in the world. But it is a great book. It's not only laugh-out-loud funny, it at the same time raises some, some incredibly serious questions on the nature of evil and how it's interpreted in our society. And uh, just a very interesting, very fun read, and I recommend it um, to anybody out there. Um, it's, it may not be for everybody, but again, it's something that will stretch you. It'll, it'll make you think further. So uh, be prepared to have, hear a great conversation right now that I had... Uh, 
yesterday with Dr. Trip York here on Voices in My Head. And I'm going to play a little intro music in the spirit uh, of this interview today for the book, The Devil Wears Nada. I present Larry Norman's Why Should the Devil Have All the Good Music. And a one, two, three, four... <laughs> That has saved my soul I still like to listen to the red little They say rock and roll is wrong I'll give you one more chance I feel so good I want to get up and dance I know what's right I know what's wrong I don't confuse it But all I'm really trying to say is Why should the devil have all the good music I've been filled I feel okay Yeah Jesus is rocking it Well, my guest today on Voices in My Head is Trip York. He is a prolific author. He's the professor of theology and philosophy. He's a theater actor, director, a skateboarder, surfer, punk rocker, Duke basketball fan, comic book reader, and a doctor as well. Is that correct? Uh, this is this is correct. Although I'm I'm scared that we just lost um, everyone when you mentioned Duke. Uh, <laughs> They seem to be hated everywhere, so <laughs> please don't hold that against me, unless you're a Duke fan. And then, you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of Duke fans, so that's no problem. <laughs> and I think I saw on Facebook you're soon to be married, is that correct? I am. I am uh, engaged, and um, so, yeah, not exactly 100% sure when that's going down, but at some time. Going down, that sounds so ominous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, uh, so yeah, absolutely. Well, great. Well, uh, I just got married back in March, so I'm coming up on my one-year anniversary here, so it's it's not... Congratulations to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, I recommend it highly, so... <laughs> yeah. It's working out so far. It's working out so far, so... Uh, so now, you're currently teaching at Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, am I right about it? I am now... No, there has been a transition. Um, I am now teaching at Virginia Wesleyan College. Oh. which is in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, I was in Bowling Green up until this past year, which I love, love teaching in Western Kentucky. Um, I actually had uh, a pretty sweet job opportunity there, but my fiancé um, was accepted to a Ph.D. program at Old Dominion in ecological sciences, zoology, and such. So it's a good setup, and to be honest, um, uh, I also like surfing. That may be my number one passion. <laughs> and uh, the problem with Kentucky is it's landlocked, and um, you, you don't get much swell or many waves in Kentucky. So uh, I kind of knew going there was going to be a temporary thing. And so now I live about 19 miles from the ocean. Oh, wow. And uh, that's probably the furthest uh, farthest I will ever live from the ocean. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so now I'm at, at Virginia Wesleyan. That's great. Now, I, I didn't actually, I don't know how I missed this, and uh, when we were at Trevecca together, I really didn't get to know you very well. I'm regretting that, especially the more I read by you, because I think I could... darn well should. I think I could learn a lot from you, for sure. But, <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, but I didn't know until I was reading the book. I, I guess you're from uh, around the Burlington, North Carolina area originally, or... Yeah, that that is correct. I'm from Burlington, North Carolina. Oh, do you have any connections there? Well, my first uh, staff position at a church out of college was at Burlington First Church. 
Oh, get out of town. That was the uh, that was the rival Nazarene church. Yeah. Uh, in Burlington growing up. Um, I actually grew up in a, a little church. Well, at first it was Graham Church of the Nazarene, which is actually still there, and then it was West Burlington, and then that um, migrated into Power Lawn Church of the Nazarene. But right. I attended a number of things at uh, First Church. Um, uh, that, that was right down off of Chapel Hill Road. Yeah, yeah, and, and uh, it was actually I loved Burlington, and I really struggled in the church. But that's that's probably my problem more than theirs. But uh, the <laughs> but I when I was a, when I was a kid, I actually lived um, on Elder Way. Oh wow! Uh, so I mean, like walking distance. That's well, you know what? Even less. I actually lived on Elder Way when I was there, so we both lived on the yeah. same street, apparently. Out of town. How bizarre. What, yeah. uh, not that anyone who's listening to this is interested, but what, what, was, the, uh, what was the house number? Uh, 1410. 1410. All right. I'm a, how, how bizarre. So when was that? When were you there? Well, um, I was, like, just out of college, so I would have moved there around, um, let's see, it would have been probably in the, the 98 99 area, something like that. Um, I think it was 99. Well, yeah, I, that's really bizarre then because I would have been at uh, Duke during that time. Well, um, so I would have been in and out of Burlington often. To make it just a little more bizarre, I used to go to Duke on my day off almost weekly just to spend some time in the chapel and to try to pray and catch up with friends. And uh, So that's kind of too odd that all, we were passing all these places that we didn't even know. Right, right. I loved studying uh, church history in that chapel. Oh, I bet. Um, it was a good place. As a matter of fact, that's where um, I'll be getting married, actually, in Duke oh, Chapel. Oh, wow. That's, so, I have a picture of Duke Chapel in my office. It became a very special place to me over the years. And, and uh, of course, I always went because I wanted to find out what new book Howard Wass had written. You know, I'd go down to the bookstore <laughs> or whatever, or Willamont. Yeah, he's writing, like, three books a, a, a semester, basically. <laughs> Willamont, by the way, actually, T.A for that guy. That is a rowdy human being. <laughs> I mean, Howard sort of gets the rap for just the rowdiness, and I don't want to take anything away from him. Uh-huh. Um, but Willman's up there. Uh, wow, good to know. So. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's a wild man, so. <laughs> sure. Well, that's great, man. I, what an opportunity to get to study with those guys, so. Uh, oh, for sure. Well, you're actually among them now, as far as the elite, uh, as as, <laughs> as a as a writer, and and uh, I I, I want to let the listeners know the reason I'm having you on here today is uh, Trip has written just a fantastic book. It's called The Devil Wears Nada, and uh, my friend Brandon Hancock, who just lives 40 minutes from me here, which is also a mutual friend of ours. Um, he had recommended the book to me, and I got really excited just about kind of the premise of the book. And, and I actually asked John before I even had a chance to read the book, so I was just hoping I would like it, you know. And uh, and it was great. <laughs> you know, everything um, was was a very good read. I, I really liked it, and I definitely, as as something you alluded to in the book, I don't think it's the worst idea you ever had. So, uh, <laughs> not, there you go. Uh, definitely wasn't the best. Uh, uh, but uh, maybe not the worst. So that, you know, there's a ringing endorsement for a book if I've ever heard. That's that. right. That's right. No, it's you know it's it's really solid, but it's it's uh, it's not so uh, it's not written in such a way that a layperson couldn't read it. And I really I think that's very important too in a lot of ways because um, you talk about some important things in there, and we're going to get to that. But I have to ask you a really important question first because every week. 
we have a question of the week on my show. And uh, this week, I should call it the stupid question of the week, but Jimmy Pardo already stole that. So uh, it's, it's, it's just question of the week. And it's really important and groundbreaking. So the question right. is, if you only had the choice the rest of your life to eat waffles or pancakes, which one would you choose? Now, is this – I hate to nuance this, but is this just plain waffles or blueberries involved? Oh, you Bananas? Can, I mean – You can have whatever kind of waffle you want, so. Okay, so you can – well, if that's the case, I would have to go with waffles. It's, oh, okay. like you can do a lot more with waffles than you can with pancakes. Well, there we have it. Very good. <laughs> oh, it's funny. My friend Matt Cole, uh, he, he wrote this long, like, paragraph about why he would choose waffles and everything. And I, and I actually I probably worded the question wrong because you can eat other stuff, too. It's just if you had to choose between waffles and pancakes, you can only have one or the other for the rest of your life. You know? I see. And plus, Waffle House does not serve pancakes, I do not think, is it? Do they? I I don't know. The only time I've been to Waffle House is, is times when I didn't really want to be at Waffle House in the middle of the night. I, so. I do not. I, I don't, <laughs> that is the best time that you're supposed to go. <laughs> the cheesy eggs are really from another planet. It's, it's phenomenal how they do it. So. All right. Fair enough. Well, there we have it. Waffles are the answer. So well, let's get into actually uh, stuff about you a little bit. Um, tell me your uh, just a little bit of your journey, if you don't mind. Tell our listeners. Um, I know you started out in the Nazarene Church growing up, and then I believe you're a Mennonite now, uh, unless that's unless that's changed, like your place where you're teaching too in the last you know little bit. But in the book, you were still a Mennonite. So yeah, and this is correct. I'm still Mennonite for as long as they will have me. So I don't, I don't know how much longer they'll put up with me. Um, uh, there's a few, there's a book coming out on the horizon that that may seal my doom. Um, but uh -oh. it's very satirical. Mennonites are um, uh, the the whole tongue and cheek thing sometimes doesn't always work that well. Uh -huh. in certain Mennonite in many Mennonite circles it, it does, especially with Canadian Mennonites. I have no idea why, and I hate to generalize about such a thing. Um, but they seem to get it sometimes. But um, uh, some of these old order kids are are hard groups to uh, make laugh. Or at least I just have really bad humor, which is <laughs> quite possible. Um, so, yeah, yes, yeah, still with that crew, anyhow, we can call them a crew. Um, so, and I guess I've been for about 12 years, maybe, 13 oh. years, something to that effect. Very cool. So, yeah. Well, you know, I, I grew up in the Nazarene Church, and I still work part-time in the Nazarene Church. Um, and I, I found that, you know, most of us who grew up there either become Nazarene pastors or atheists or some sometimes both. You now, know? why do you think that's the case? I mean, now, that's an interesting point you make because I think you – I mean, I, I've had a lot of connections with a lot of Nazarenes because uh -huh. I love a lot of Nazarenes because that was the whole gist of the majority of, you know, my early sort of well, early life. Like, I'm – but uh vast majority of my life. So that's an interesting question. I think I, I think you may be right. What do you think that's the case? Um I well, I that's probably a lot more than we have time for, but I don't know. I think <laughs> <laughs> I have to be careful about who, who my listeners are too probably in some ways, but uh, Oh no, yeah, that's right, Nicole. I think it's like anything else. I think we grow up with a, a certain uh, mindset and and especially me, I, I grew up uh, in a, a pastor's home, so I think I I came up with certain notions about um, who God was and things that I, I think I I found later on didn't really gel as I got more education and got more out in the world and started um, building relationships that were outside the church. 
Um, it's, you know, it's just a it's just a lot bigger world than I often was allowed to be a part of, I guess. Let me put it that way. Yeah. And yeah. so some of it with maturity, but it's, it's always an interesting uh, thing uh, to, to talk to people who have made the journey elsewhere. And so what, what helped you uh, make your decision to the Mennonites? Um, well, there was some uh, – actually, it was during some of my time in, at Trevecca when I was reading a number of writers and at least some Anabaptist more Anabaptist inclined writers like James McClendon, um, John Howard Yoder, of course, um, and even folk like uh, Hallowas and Willimon, who uh, that would be a uh, well, um, Hallowas is now Episcopalian, but uh, Willimon, of course, Methodist, but highly, you know, very, very much influenced by sort of Anabaptist and sort of leaning in that direction. And then um, I became involved in a Mennonite church in North Carolina, actually, and that was. That particular congregation to me was sort of a, a, a tipping point um, right then. So that's, I guess, kind of how it worked out. And so, well, that's great. Cool. Hanging around with them. Well, uh, you mentioned Yoder, and of course, I think we've all had to read some Yoder and are better for it, you know, through the years that have been through, well, hopefully through uh, some Nazarene school. That's where I uh, first heard of it, was friends referring me to that. So that's great. Um, I actually found another Mennonite writer who I don't know if the Mennonites want to claim him now or not because I think he's gone a bit more universalist route, but uh, he's not really uh, like a scholar theologian, but Philip Gawley, who wrote the Home to Harmony books, um, if you ever read those books, it just describes perfectly what it's like to live in a, uh, a preacher's home, and it's really some hilarious stuff. So he he right. might he might be another one, uh, you know, as far as the humor route that would probably get you very well. <laughs> so <laughs> excellent! I can check. I've never read his stuff. So it's it's thinking. if you read the first one, it's just called Home to Harmony, and if, especially if you need something to just help you chill out, it's one of the most fun books you can read, and and you'll. You'll read it, and the characters described in the book, you'll go, I know that guy, you know? <laughs> right, for so, sure. Yeah, I, excellent. I went to church with him growing up. He was the one that always caused problems. I get it. And so, anyway. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's, no, let's talk about your book a little bit, and I'm going to start that discussion by uh, actually using Willimon's uh, blurb that's on the back of your book. I think it's great. Oh, um, sure. He says, I love this rollicking journey to hell and back. Trip York thinks that we ought to take Satan seriously as long as we mock, deride, and laugh at him the whole time. Sex, money, power, religion, Satan is mixed up with all of it, and in the funniest ways. This book is hysterically funny, absolutely serious, and deeply Christian. If you have never thought of Mennonites as funny, and who has, then you need to read Trip York on Satan. Um, I just thought, what a what a great way to describe it, you know. And and to have Willimon actually writing a blurb on your book, that's fantastic. So. Yeah, no, I, I I sent him a message and I said, listen, when I when I was your TA, you worked, you know, you worked me to the bones. <laughs> and I was like, you're gonna do this for me. <laughs> actually, actually, I was I had no idea he was. Um, uh, uh, actually endorsing this book, so it actually came as a, as a big surprise to me. I've actually had to pull the I was your TA once card on a couple of other things, so um, I, I was very uh, uh, surprised to see him on there and uh, saying such kind things. So uh, it was good. I'll take it. I'll take it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I was talking with a friend of mine, uh, Tony Berry, who actually runs the local comic shop in Yellow Springs, Ohio, that I go All right. I go there about once a week, and um, we were talking a little bit about 
Why? Today's comic day, too, actually. It is, yeah. That's where I'm heading after this interview, actually. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but, um, but when I was talking with them last week, uh, we were just talking about how humor is so often, um, it's often the, I guess, weapon that disarms and, and weakens the monster, so to speak. And, uh, I, I think he actually used those words when referring to humor because we were talking about things that, um, sometimes are so taboo, we, we can't have a sense of humor about it. And the only way to sometimes breach a topic is to actually come in with humor. And it shows a person's insecurity sometimes when they can't actually kind of laugh at it and kind of pick it apart a little bit sometimes. And so when he said that about, you know, it's what kills the monster to a certain extent, um, and he was just showing me a new graphic novel they got in, and the woman who has written it is actually battling cancer, and she wrote this as a kind of a humorous response to what she's gone through in chemo and all these different things that, that happen when you have cancer. So as we're talking about this book in particular, and speaking of monsters, we're talking about the devil in this book, The Devil Wears Nada. Um, Tell us a little bit about, I mean, it's a very funny book when you read it, but there's some really good things that you could take seriously from it, too. But tell us just a little bit about the listeners and let them know what led you to start taking this journey to find God by finding the devil. Right. Um, sure. Uh, you know, it actually, I have to um, give credit. When I was teaching at Elon University in North Carolina, um, great little private school, had a blast there. It came about one day when two of my students, um, one's sort of a very devout, pious girl, um, Christian, and the other kid, uh, I, I guess he'd probably just sort of classify himself as an agnostic or skeptic or, or something to that effect. And they were arguing about, um, you know, knowing that God exists or, you know, typical sort of proofs of God's existence, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and she was saying that you can know that God exists, but the way that she was using the word know, she could say, I know that God exists like, you know, I know I'm talking to you on the phone kind of thing. Right. And, um, and which is actually, even from historically speaking, Christian perspective, that would be a very problematic, uh, in some circles, Christian circles, problematic thing to say, uh, um, since God is not a being in the universe, uh, um, as we are beings in the universe. But nevertheless, um, this one kid wasn't digging it too much. And somehow, um, basically, she started the ad hominem approach, um, and 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 was talking about how at least according to scripture you're either under the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of Satan, and he started sort of playing with this notion that well, um, it's either God or it's Satan, and you would at least like to think that if you're under the power of Satan, you may know it, or at least maybe the Satan you know figure would be easier to find. And he he was being rather facetious, but at the same time he was being kind of serious. And and because this was a kid who I don't think was was playing with skepticism or agnosticism as, as just an intellectual thing, but he really wanted to know if God existed. And hmm. He was sort of really invested, and he started toying with this idea of, like, well, you know, maybe if I find Satan and I quote Satan and I become demonically possessed, you know, we'll just schedule, schedule an exorcism, blah, 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 but at least then, by knowing Satan exists, I sort of get back to know that God exists. And wouldn't it be worth it to finally know however it takes to sort of get there? And, um... And, of course, he didn't go through the experiment because uh, I remember talking to him a couple of days later, and he said he just got tired of playing Xbox or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it kind of kind of started sitting with me for a while. I was like, what an interesting kind of, you know, uh, thing. You know, I, I heard many a televangelists and preachers and ministers and spiritual warriors saying the closer you are to God, 
you know, sort of the more Satan comes after you and all these sort of things. And I was like, well, you know, let's go on a look for Satan. That may actually bring even closer to God. Who knows? Hmm. And um, so basically the book is kind of a series of, of interviews and uh, detailing my experiences uh, looking for Satan um, as I visited spiritual warriors, Pentecostals, exorcists, uh, um, Unitarians, pagans, Druids, devil worshippers. Uh, and all these sort of things, um, in which I learned a whole lot about what people thought about God, what people thought about things about good and evil, especially as it pertains um, in North America. Uh, so it's a very sort of interesting thing, but at the same time, it's it's, it's a bit satirical, it's a bit tongue in cheek, but it's a, but it's also incredibly serious. Um, uh, uh, but I did sort of take a more humorous approach, following uh, Martin Luther, who said that was sort of the best way to deal with the devil. Uh, let's make fun of him sure. or her or whatever uh, the devil may be. So um, that's, I guess, sort of a crude summary, which, by the way, it is true. I was completely willing to uh, uh, offer Satan my soul in exchange for Satan taking care of my student loans that I accrued while getting a Ph.D. in Christian theology, which I thought would be kind of irony that Satan could not not jump on. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, Needless to say, I still have the student loans for now, um, but uh, uh, that doesn't mean that there wasn't some sort of exchange at some point. So, you know, it, and it's like you said, some people have just sat there bewildered and baffled and scratching their head going, you know, what is wrong with this kid? Um, uh, while others have sort of jumped on it and they kind of see what I'm ultimately trying to do yeah. um, um, with the book. So uh, it's been a very, very interesting sort of um responses that I've been getting so well I, I bet it has been and I actually you know I think it takes some bravery to actually write some of the things you do but they're in, in some ways it's it's partially I think dispelling some myths you know that have always been told and and uh, you know you talk about our, our Nazarene background and I don't it it varies from church to church and who the pastor is um, and how much of that is allowed to be in, but so often, you know, it's just Satan gets blamed for everything, and I, I want to refer just real quickly, the first chapter of your book, you start talking about just things that you've heard blamed on Satan before, um, and there's not like an exhaustive list of, you know, in the world, this is what Satan gets blamed on, but... <laughs> It, it was, <laughs> there's, no, there's not enough space. There's not. <laughs> but I loved it because I, I literally was laughing at, at points and had to, you know, I, I had to like read parts to my wife and and uh, like the part where we blame Satan for unplugging the projector screen, uh, for encouraging people to vote for Bill Clinton, um, you know, and for uh, Michael English having an affair. Um, just and I don't want to read the whole list because I'll give too much away. Um, but it's it's just a lot of stuff. And last Saturday morning, um, I I lead uh, music at my church when I'm in town, and I um, was practicing with our musicians. And for devotion time, I actually used this part of the book, and I just said, you know, it's 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 wrong. It, and it was kind of a funny devotion time. It's wrong for us to, you know, blame things on on Satan that you know we have no right blaming those things for. And what was funny was the day after, uh, in Sunday morning, we played And Can It Be, and I mean, we just butchered it. It was just, you know, in, in, in my opinion, it was horrible. <laughs> and my 
my drummer, who's who's a, um, a graduate of Xavier, he got his master's in in, uh, in theology or not theology, but something of that lines. It's left me right now, but he actually said to me right after uh, our worship service, he said, "Boy, the devil really made us mess up that first song." So and uh, exactly. <laughs> so it was it's it's stuff that's good and and good for us to point out because I I remember sitting in uh, Chaplain Green's office at Trevecca one time being so confused by this and uh, and I remember his response saying you know if Satan has any power in this world it's because the church has made him so powerful and um, it, it was something along that lines and I thought wow we we really do give so much power and it almost seems like in some circles. Uh, Satan is is like God light, or you know, maybe even bigger than God. Sometimes the way we talk about him. So, it was, right, yeah, and you know, it's interesting that he would have said that because even uh, I think it may have been uh, uh, not Alsha Crowley, but the founder of the Church of Satan um, in San Francisco. I can't think of his name, but he he basically said the same thing. He said, you know, uh, the church is what created this powerful. Satan, such a powerful deity, right. uh, um, which is which is sort of very serious. But you know, that was one of the things I was playing with because some of the um, the people that I was interviewing and, and Christians in particular, especially the ones who there seems to be a lot of confusion because a lot of Christians I was talking about are making all these saying you know we're just loaded with free will, et cetera, et cetera. Yet they have a very determined uh, determinative sort of fatalistic um, account of where everything that good happens is. God's blessings and everything that bad occurs was directly from the devil. And it's so incredibly fatalistic because there's no room for contingency um, or anything like that or really for me to make any decisions that have any outcome uh, uh, or any kind of effect that can truly be said that be predicated upon free will. Right. Um, so I think there's just a lot of sort of confusion, um, especially in the past uh, century or so in, in sort of North American Christianity where – uh, we say we want to hold on to certain sort of ideals and, and, and ways of thinking about God, um, yet our language betrays that so often. Right. Uh, especially when we talk about good and evil, we talk about God and, and Satan, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Well, I, I wonder if you could uh, just, and, and again, if you don't want to tell this because you want readers to read it, that's fine, because I don't want to give away too much of the book. Uh, but one part that I found pretty humorous, because I actually think I'm going to be doing some music with this evangelist pretty soon, but you don't name him in the book, and I won't name him either, but an evangelist... Is, that this, came, is this the one from Nashville? From Trevecca, yeah. You said he, he oh, came, oh, okay. to, came to Trevecca, and he had a bunch of uh, people to come before him and pray. Um, Were you there, Trevecca, during that time? Do you I, don't, I don't think I was there yet, no. But okay. Would you mind telling just a little bit of that story? Oh, sure, yeah, it's actually, I want to say it was in my, oh, maybe my first semester at Trek or second semester, uh, but uh, uh, I, I don't know how prominent of an evangelist he is in those circles, apparently big enough to come down and do a revival at Trevecca. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and as a matter of fact, I contacted him numerous times during this, this book, having sort of conversations with him, um, but he wasn't really willing to play ball with what I was doing. Um, but basically, they, uh, as detailed in the book, and I don't mind giving this away, doesn't get that much away, but, um, they, he had his, uh, sort of intercessory crew come down to the chapel and pray all the demons out before he got there. <laughs> which was a very interesting thing, which, uh, regardless of how literal you take these things or not, as you can imagine, the, uh, 
Tobacco community, uh, at least some folks were a bit put off. Yeah. So imagine that a place where we have services, you know, three to four times a week, um, with a place that's hosting, you know, demons. Right. Um, really says a lot about what he thinks about what, about the people and the kind of character of the people at Tobacco. Exactly. So there are a number of people who were put off, which was always interesting to me because from so many of the people from the faculty and from the staff were very put off by those kind of things. He's always very curious as to who makes decisions of how to, who comes mm-hmm. to do revivals and things like that. Um, and so, and, and then he had one particular individual who would just chanted the word Jesus the entire service mm-hmm. as sort of a mantra, um, um, which was interesting. Some people would find it distracting. Some may find it, you know, comforting. I don't know. But basically the reason why I was, again, sort of keep all the demons at bay because this guy was such a high-profile evangelist that, um, you know, he was doing such powerful work that the devil had to take him out kind of thing. Yeah. on the bordering on narcissism mm-hmm. um, to ever think that you are so important to uh, God's kingdom um, that Satan is specifically targeting you. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, So I, I talked a little bit about that um, in detail and what that kind of means and what that sort of assumes about what we were doing there and what people assume about, you know, again, um, God and Satan. So um, it's an interesting part of the book uh, yeah. that I think is also kind of humorous, I hope. Yeah. I don't know. I still haven't heard much from Rebecca about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've right. been wanting someone there to review it. Uh, sure. There have been a few people who have read it uh, um, who were a part of that time hmm. who have read me and were just remembered it and just think it's, you know, uh, they find it very humorous now. Yeah. Um, and, and especially appreciated that section because some of them had forgotten it. But, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's well, it's it's funny to think about that, and I mean, when you look back, I, I think that kind of stuff is kind of funny. But I I guess I had never thought of it in light of what you had said too. It's like you mean this house of God where we're worshiping at, where we believe God reigns and is present. We're going to cast the demons out of there, <laughs> you know? So it's okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, it, it was just so similar to. I mean, I felt like I, I was like in a, a really bad poltergeist film yeah. where you know you have. Uh, the short little lady who comes in and is trying to get all the demons out of the place. Right. And I'm like, you know, are we just being sort of ridiculously superstitious here? Yeah. I mean, you know, where, where does the line become, you know, oh, a black cat just crossed the street? You know, what's the difference? Uh, uh, and I think it was George Herbert said, you know, uh, the devil separates the world between atheism and superstition. Yeah. And, uh, Sometimes I think it may be safer if we err on the side of atheism right. <laughs> on the side of superstition because it could be a little more dangerous. Uh, um, so I, I don't know. That's a loaded statement, but still. Well, yeah, but you know, it, it brings up, you know, you just said like out of a poltergeist movie or something. I think oftentimes our theology of what Satan is, it it does come more from you know a Hollywoodized version of of what Satan is and. You know, I, I often think, like, when you're thinking in terms of evil, like, those, those kinds of concepts don't scare me as much because I know they aren't real, like what I see in a horror movie, you know? It's like, like what scares me about it is the the beautiful things that I'm so attracted to, <laughs> you know? That, exactly. That look good and, and, and that I want. And those are the things that I really start thinking, whoa, this, this might not be of God, <laughs> you know, at times. But, Good boy. Yeah, yeah. That That's the real genuine danger right there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's often, I think it's when it becomes most dangerous is when we assume the sort of projects that we're undertaking 
have just been ordained by God. Right. And, uh, you know, our own projects are sort of just nothing more than an extension of God's will. Um, you know, that's sort of, well, I was going to do that anyhow. Let's just tag God's name onto it. Sure. And, um, it'll be a lovely sort of thing. So, yeah, I think you're dead on uh, on that point. I mean, if only if evil really just came to a so horrible looking and atrocious looking, it would be so easy. Yeah. Um, that way. Yeah. But it does not seem to be the case. Yeah. Well, and, and you mention a, a number of people in your book that um, I, I guess in some ways maybe they're self-proclaimed of, you know, being experts on um, not, oh, right. just, not just God, but like experts on, on knowing when Satan is near or knowing when an evil spirit is near or, or things similar to what we just were talking about. And uh, one lady's name, I actually hadn't heard of her until the book. Um, and I, I don't really want to say a lot about it in the book because I don't want to give too much away, but her name was Cindy Jacobs, and you mentioned her. And She's a very prominent actual person in a lot of circles with some political clout to boot as well. Hmm. Um, uh, yeah, some sort of, uh, I mean, had some connections underwriting uh, certain political parties, um, wow. in particular in Virginia. Um, so this is not just like, I just didn't just pick somebody out at the local, you know, I don't know, gymnasium who was doing mass exorcisms. <laughs> this is a person with yeah. television show, lots of books, uh, on a huge networking crowd. Anyhow, you you were saying? Yeah. Oh yeah, I was just saying. Um, I I didn't know a lot about her before, and I I actually went to her website and uh, was looking at some stuff about her uh, TV network that she has coming out soon called Generals TV. And um, and basically, you know, how, uh, the thing that really bothered me that I was reading about in your book and on her website is uh, just her claim that poverty is a sign of God's disfavor. And uh, so, you know, <laughs> not my, eight four people. That's right. So my question to you is: Do you think, as you mentioned in your book about your student loans, do you think God is displeased with you because of your student loans? Oh yeah, God's God's angry at me because I did a PhD in Christian theology. I mean, <laughs> it, you really you really get this feeling too. I mean, because and I don't want to generalize about this because there are a number of denomination churches that aren't like this, but it has been my case at least within some circles of the Protestant church, of variation Protestant churches, that actually having an education worked against you from jobs. Right. Um, uh, actually, well, I was. Uh, doing my PhD, I was looking at a place to do some youth ministry, and uh, this one place was just sort of baffled because they're like, you, "You're working on a PhD. I don't understand. You couldn't do this job, you know." Yeah. And I'm like, "What do you What do you mean? Uh, I'm pretty good with kids." Um, um, but it was almost like, uh, if you're going to be an ambassador for God or whatever, the last thing we need you to be able to do is to know too much stuff. Right. Um, and it was very, I was like, wow, how has the church become the last institution on the planet that does not want you to be highly educated? Yeah. Um, how is that a bad thing? Why, why do we have such a sort of suspicion against it? So, um, you know, I guess that's just way, you know, God is pretty angry for me for studying <laughs> the history of God's bride, you know, Jesus' bride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's getting me with these massive student loans. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but, you know, she's very much a part of the whole gospel, wealth, health, prosperity thing, you know, if you're living the way you should, you know, God's going to take care of you, you know, just ask Mother Teresa who lived in Calcutta uh, her whole life holding the hands of dying lepers, right? right. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's you know, they, they gank a couple of, of proverbs and sort of twist them to their way. And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, you know, uh, I mean, the funny thing with Cindy Jacobs is everything from from poverty to a really, uh, really bad PMS 
is a sign of God's disfavor mm-hmm. or demonic possession. Um, uh, hence my little sarcastic comment in the book about is that why women get crazy once a month? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, right. <laughs> just making fun of this sort of stuff. But this is also someone, uh, who was, uh, who was suggested that, um, I can't remember, uh, which public official this was, but, uh, maybe in the guy in South Carolina when they found out that he ran off with another gal, he committed adultery. Um, rather than holding him accountable, you know, she made arguments about witches sort of possessing him, casting spells on him to do this sort of thing, and it really wasn't his fault that, again, because he's such a holy guy, the devil was specifically going after him by sending these other women. So, again, of course, his adultery was the fault of women. Right. Know? It was. <laughs> it wasn't his fault. Yeah, I couldn't bring him up. Right, yeah, you know, and uh, they just can't keep their hands off of us. I'm sure. Uh, so, uh <laughs> But um, it, it's very interesting, and this is a very prominent, you know, I, I wish this was just sort of a, a rare kind of a thing, but she has a huge following, huge audiences. She does mass exorcisms at, at, at some of her uh, uh, rallies right? Um, and um, uh, where she's exercising the demons of poverty and what homosexuality and PMS and all sorts of things. But um, uh, And she thinks that's a very sort of biblical worldview. Um, yeah. Uh, well, kind of thing, so. well, I may have some good news for you because uh, with with your student loans and things, uh, oh, yeah. while I was on her website just looking uh, and just trying to see what she was about, I was able to access some prophetic audio and video, and okay. and uh, so I have a feeling that if you were to partner with her and give her some money, that your student <laughs> your student loans will probably go away. And and the good news, this is the really, really interesting part. She has an event coming up at the Chevy Chase Baptist Church in Washington. And I just, I pictured like this Chevy Chase Baptist Church must be covered with like thousands of Christmas lights. That's all I can you know, think about. But, <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. But it has to. Oh. So anyway, if you want to get out of those loans, I think if you, you know, maybe give it another shot. Go to her website and it would be the way to go. Let her speak yeah. over again. So. <laughs> yeah. I've got a feeling she's not going to have too much to do with me. But um, <laughs> but I'm all about reconciliation, so let us be reconciled to Jacob. Very Please. good. Very yeah. good. <laughs> um, gosh, there's so much that I'd, I'd like to cover from this. I'm going to try to, to keep it as brief as I can because we've already been talking sure. for almost 40 minutes. But Oh, wow. There, there's a yeah, time just flying by. I I love how you, uh, good job by the way, quoting Flannery O'Connor uh, uh, O'Connor often uh, because she has some how good can, stuff to say. How can you not quote her? I mean, she's just. Yeah. Not, if I could use you know her work in all of my classes, I really would. Uh, well, uh, she's just a gem of a right. find in this world. And I love uh, I love the quote specifically. I was sharing it with somebody again at church the other day about where she says that's all a prophet is good for to admit somebody else is an ass or a whore, and uh, and you know it's it's true. I think that uh, you know people like you know preacher type people who I guess I consider myself in that group, although I'm not preaching on a regular basis on Sunday, but I do you know bring the word of God quite often. And we 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 can very easily be those people who are are casting things on other people, you know, and, and not, not just uh, examining our own self and the, the life and our own community. But the, the question that I, that kind of was raised in the book, I'm going to go back to this again about um, how some of the, the ministries that you talk to seem to have this 
this other sense about being able to sense God and the devil and, and, um, and, you know, having the right answer for themselves that somebody else doesn't have. And I, I always think what you were saying too is ties into what you were talking about education working against you. And, um, sometime, uh, while I was at Trevecca or just shortly after I left, cause a friend of mine, uh, told me about this, but Brueggemann, uh, Walter Brueggemann was speaking at Trevecca. And um, he had just finished his lecture, which I'm, I'm certain was brilliant because it always is. Um, and, a, and a preacher in the congregation stood up. And, you know, it's it's in Tennessee, and, and you never know exactly who's going to ask. Not that there's anything wrong with Tennessee preachers. But, sure. but the question that was asked out of this minister's mouth just made you want to crawl under your pew and never come back, you know, was asking Brueggemann, if you died tonight, do you know for certain you'd go to heaven? You know, <laughs> that was that was the question, you know. Right. You know, when you die, will you have confidence that you're going to be there? And it just intrigues me, this idea of, um, you call it in your book, um, the, the concept of the soul that we have in the American church. You call it a revival of Gnosticism. And uh, and I and I I think you're right on that. I, would you mind just explaining a little bit of what you mean about that? Because so often that's all we hear about from our ministers and churches, and it's not necessarily something that's even a a a Christian thing. Um, uh, absolutely, and 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 part of uh, one really helpful book for this, and of all books, it's not actually a Christian theology book, but it's. Uh, L. Bloom's American Religion, where he talks about um, almost across the board any sort of faith that has developed for indigenous to the United States, um, at least through the 19th and 20th century, seems to carry certain traits. It doesn't matter, you know, uh, from Mormons to Southern Baptists, but those you know, Nazarenes that were really sort of born and bred in the United States mm-hmm. um, carry certain traits about them. That's just part of our culture. Uh, uh, and uh, one of the things he sort of talks about is Gnosticism, and and we do it's sort of a retrieval of this sort of ancient pagan philosophy where uh, you know a disembodiment, this sort of disembodied soul. Where he, I mean, part of what Gnosticism is is it's so thoroughly depoliticizes the gospel, uh, um, the material uh, that is the flesh, the body, um, and those practices. Uh, uh, cease to become important. Uh, uh, there's no more ideal of a renewal of creation, a renewal of the body, and the good of the body that God created. But it's to sort of depoliticized. Well, as long as I think this, as long as I give you know cognitive assent to a set of propositions, whether it's you know the Nicene Creed or do you just believe in Jesus? Mm-hmm. As long as I give sort of cognitive assent to that, then my soul is good to go, and kind of what happens here doesn't really matter, and my practices and habits uh, and things that form and shape the body don't really matter, um, but it's just all about my soul communing with God. Uh, um, and it's a very pure, thoroughly pagan concept that I don't see having any strong roots in, in the Bible at all, since really the word for soul in the Hebrew is nefesh, life force, is our totality of being, uh, you know, our embodied beings that... Uh, uh, if anything, will, will, will be renewed in this, the new kingdom of heaven and kingdom of heaven, kingdom of earth, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it just plays, theoretically, it just it plays out uh, really poorly um, for Christian habits and, and practices when you end up with this very depoliticized account uh, of what it means to be a practitioner of the way of Jesus. 
uh, once you sort of imbibe this kind of concept of the soul um, that we have, which is part of the reason why I was playing some time he actually had an interview with the Christian Post, and, and he just couldn't get his head around the fact that I was willing to sell my soul to Satan right. or whatever. Else I was like, well, if your understanding of the soul is the very thing that I'm deconstructing in this book, right. then Satan can have it. Because <laughs> yeah. it's not doing anything for me anyhow. And I think it's an absolutely heretical approach mm-hmm. to from what we understand in the Bible. So if, if something like that exists, Satan can have it, and I'll pull the wool over his eyes um, kind of thing. But whatever it is that people are referring to the soul, I think it's a very, very foreign concept to the Bible, uh, to, the, to the early church, and through the majority of the history of Christianity. But it's something that's really sort of developed in, in our culture in the past couple hundred of years that really just coincides well with individualism, uh, hyper-individualism, uh, and, and the ability to put no markers between our bodies and, and the claims of, of the market and the nation-state. Uh, it's a beautiful play, you know, for the nation-state to say, hey, you know, your souls can belong to whatever religion you want, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, your little Jewish, Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, Hindu soul can belong to whatever faith it wants, but we still want your bodies. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm just like, and I'm just like, this is nihilistic. You're just yeah. carved a space where God doesn't exist, and you're willing to turn your bodies over to these other entities hmm. uh, because you feel assuaged that your soul is in a good place. I mean, it's just, it's just terrible. Yeah. It's just really, it's a disaster. Yeah. Um, all all across the board, I feel like. Well, it was it was so refreshing to actually read some of that in your book because just frankly, it's just not. Um, it's so prevalent in our um, in our churches today, and I, I can't speak for every church, but I I travel quite a bit to uh, to churches around doing music or camps in the summertime, and it's just um, it's so it's a bad misrepresentation of what the gospel is supposed to be. This gospel that that calls us to everything and calls us to be you know agents of God's. Great, uh, you know, social change in the world, even, you know, right now. And um, I think I heard somebody say <laughs> one time when I liked it, said, you know, God doesn't save us in places. And, uh, you know, <laughs> he, call, he calls us to be these whole people that, and, and he actually brings us to be whole people and, and who he is. So, um, well, I want to, I want to sum up a, a little bit. And I, and I know uh, it was funny. I, I laughed a lot about your, comments about contemporary christian music and uh and i, I and i as soon as i received the email from you about it, i was like oh no 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 because i i agree with you and i i uh i actually one of the challenges is how do we how do we try to write something good i you know i write a lot of music and and try to write something that actually has some substance that maybe can in some way serve the church and uh i think that um, one of the lights. I don't know if you've heard of Derek Webb before, um, or ever listened to his. I have not. I don't. He's afraid. he's a you. You might do you well if you if you uh, wanted to hear somebody that has some good things to say that's not your average. He's definitely not a contemporary Christian. He's kind of an underground thing, but he writes some really good things. And I I just wanted to quote some lyrics from him real fast. Uh, and this is not to convince you about contemporary Christian music. This is actually just, it's just because if, if it was a poem, which basically is kind of what it is, it really, I think, speaks well about what you're saying in your book. Um, and I don't, I don't want our listeners to hear the conclusion of your book. I really, by the way, once again, the name of the book is The Devil Wears Nada, Satan Exposed by uh, Trip York, and you really need to read it. 
but Derek Webb has a line in one of his songs, um, and it's called uh, A King in a Kingdom is the name of the song. And one part of it says, there's two great lies that I've heard. You eat of that fruit of the tree and you'll surely will not die. And that Jesus Christ was a white middle class Republican. And if you want to be, and if you want to be saved, you have to learn to be like him. And I, I love that line um, about, you know, well, obviously Jesus wasn't a white middle class Republican, but we've turned him into that. And then the the song ends by him saying this. He says, nothing unifies like a common enemy, and we've got one sure as hell. He may be living in your house. He may be raising up your kids. He may be sleeping with your wife. Oh, no, he may not look like you think. And uh, I love that idea of, you know, nothing, nothing unifies like a common enemy, and uh, that the enemy that is us is so much more dangerous than... Um, as you call them in your book, Old Horny, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, there's some even more interesting names. No, I mean, I'm, I'm glad you pulled that out because that was sort of a, again, not to give too much away, but there's sort of a comment, there's a theme of that sort of running through by the time uh, uh, you sort of get to the end. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's always been one of the problems is, is sort of that oftentimes we're sort of more defined by what we think we're opposing mm-hmm. uh, um, than what we we are supposedly four, and then we, mm-hmm. we fail to see who that real enemy may be. Um, so yeah, that's lovely. Hey, that gives hope. I mean, part of, part of some of my slams on uh, uh, my lampooning in in sort of the so-called contemporary Christian music film. Now I don't even I don't even know what that genre really means anymore. All I know is that, and I mean this sincerely, my first real bout of atheism, agnosticism, this is all nonsense, came one day just sitting in a Nazarene church, and we were singing the, had to have been the stupidest song I've ever heard. <laughs> I, I can't even remember. It's just something like, Jesus from the West, Jesus from the East, I'm going to get away from that diabolical beast. I guess it was referring to Satan. I don't know. Wow. And it was just really like, you know, no self-respecting chimpanzee would, would you know, uh, sing this song. And, right. and I was just thinking, whatever Christ dies for, and, and these martyrs of the first 300 years of church could not have been just so that we could produce the most banal, trite, mawkish uh, 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 kind of music and then sing about it, you know, as we live this incredibly affluent life. And I was like, this just cannot be real if this is the best we can do. Mm. But, you know, it, it simply wasn't – and that, that started really messing with me. And then – but it, it wasn't just in the Nazarene church. I remember being in a uh, Mennonite church once where – this Mennonite church thought uh, the way for us to get more members is basically to be more like liberal Protestant churches. <laughs> like, don't oh. do that. You know, like, well, I, I like the fact that we were an alternative to that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and now you you want to try to keep up with the Joneses, and so it was like, you know, let's just grab a guitar in there and we'll just start singing Sanctuary over and over again. Yeah. And um, I was just like, I, I don't know what it is, but it made me feel a bit nauseous. Yeah. Because... There was nothing authentic. You know, the Mennonites in the 16th century were writing hymns as they were walking off to be martyred, you know, in the public by Catholics and Protestants. Hmm. And so they had some really in-depth, profound songs produced in the 16th and 17th century that the idea of a hymn or the song is that it's supposed to produce a person that would would otherwise not be that same kind of person without it. And those songs were meant to produce people that were capable of, you know, attaining martyrdom, you know, the highest, in the Tatio Christi, you know, of which we could do. 
And now I'm like, well, what is this song really supposed to be teaching me other than sort of the slavement of, of again, the sort of pious soul or the self-filling of, of a blessing right. or uh, something to this effect? And, and, and it seems to be just all about me, and I don't know how this is going to produce the kind of people who go out and resist, you know, racism uh, yeah. uh, uh, and greed and, and all the vices of our culture, I don't know how this is going to give me those resources to do it, so I don't want to sing these songs. Yeah. And if this is what Christianity sort of boils down to, then I'm in trouble. Yeah, <laughs> so part, part of that, and, and, and the fact that, you know, uh, certain towns like Nashville, they're cash cows for producing a certain kind of brand of Christianity mm-hmm. that you can use in your churches, and people are getting filthy rich off of it. So I just, it's really difficult for me to fathom that, coming out of that culture, giving who Jesus was, mm-hmm. and giving the kind of money being made on this kind of music. I just don't have, I don't know how to co-opt them. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you you know, you read something like that to me, and I'm like, oh, well, there's hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a yeah. gym in every, you know, and, and if maybe if we could just get over the Rhine to, to uh, be played in church on occasion. Yeah. Or, you know, bands like that to write so-called Christian music. Uh, which is such an interesting, I mean, do you find that interesting yourself, like, the very category of Christian music? Like, yeah, it's... Well, I mean, why do you have to put a label on this, you know? Right. If, well, I, I said, actually, on this podcast a couple episodes ago, I was talking about this, and, and um, I had a, a friend of mine on who's very much a, a kind of an Americana folk musician, and he's a believer, but he doesn't write a lot of music that that comes out as something you would hear in church. And and we were just commenting like, you know, did God like make a Christian cloud, or did he make Christian grass outside, or were there, you know, Christian Christian trees, or are those that a Christian cornfield, or is it an unChristian cornfield? You know, on the other side. And, and there's this idea of you know like for for some reason for me, and I've actually you know I've struggled with it because. What I tend to write tends to come out as oftentimes what would be called Christian music, but really it's just more of an expression of of uh, my experience that I'm trying to write out of. And I, I always yeah. admire people who are able to um, to go just beyond and actually just write a, about life and in different ways. And so I really feel like people just need to be faithful to what their calling is to do, you know. And I, and yeah, I find yeah, such beauty. Sure. And you mentioned one of my favorites, Over the Rhine. They're just, you know, uh, they do such a fantastic job. And there's so many voices out there that won't get played in church. I did a Derek Webb song in my church one time, and I, I thought I was going to get fired um, for <laughs> for playing it. But there's there's some real truth. And, you know, even even in, uh, in films and anything else that, you know, it's, it's not that there can't be a good film that's a Christian film made once in a while, but so often we have to put a label on it and, and just push this one agenda when what we could be doing is making something that's truly good and something that really could make people think and maybe actually make a difference in a life regardless of if, you know, the end result of did they get saved and walk into our church, you know, or something like that. And, right. You know, I think going back to that, I think it was actually a Jeff Ring that Tureka, who was taking um, uh, dramatic arts uh, and religion sort of class, and he really struggled with that sort of idea of where do we start developing the notion that this is, you know, as you said, this is a Christian tree and this is a non-Christian tree. Right. This is Christian music because this is non-Christian, or this is, you know, Christian Shakespeare and this is non-Christian. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's such an unintelligible sort of dichotomy because either God created all things good 
or God didn't. Right. And either in any space that would be free of God, of course, again, we go back to nihilism. Uh, um, so this idea, again, of putting these labels on it, which to me just like, goes back to the notion of branding something hmm. and, and making uh, an insidious amount of money off of it. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, yeah, I think that uh, your friend there is is sort of dead on it as, as he talks about it, for sure. Yeah. Well, that was actually me that said it to my friend, but, you know, I'm, I'm dead on it. Let's put it – I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> i got to take credit for one good thing I've said in my life, you know. No, that's, that's, that's good. That's good. I'm teasing. Um, well, hey, we're we're uh, – really, I've, I feel like I've just taken advantage of your time today, so let me kind of round it out. I do have a couple questions for you from people like sure. me, but I did want to ask one last thing. Um and I'll, I guess I'll, I'll wrap it in this. I'll say it this way. Um, I, I guess I was about five years old, you know, when I was in a Nazarene church and I, under my dad's preaching and I asked Jesus in my heart. And, uh, but I would say I'm still trying to find God, you know, and, and I'm still on this journey. And I, I was intrigued by, um, how you said in the book, you know, to, to search out to find Satan in order to find God. And so is that something, that actually did help you in your quest for God. I mean, was this was this process helpful for you? Do you think? Um, I don't know if in terms. Of, I mean, it's such an odd thing to say to find God again. Uh, I think I really stick with some of the the Orthodox theologians on this classical Orthodox theologians, which sound like heresy to most 21st century Christians. But mm-hmm. again, because God is not a being. God is not, you know, an entity in the universe mm-hmm. um, to, to suggest that one can find it as if one can find a vase mm-hmm. or, you know, a sacred oak tree. It really, I, I, again, locates God as just one more agent in a universe that is even beyond God. So I'm really kind of, if I ever use the word find, I'm, I think I'm being a little sort of tongue-in-cheek with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, because I'm a little wary to, to use that kind of language. Yeah. Um, of finding out. Although, clearly, I think you would probably suggest that we certainly discover Jesus in a whole variety of places, whether it's in looking at the light of Dorothy Day, mm-hmm. uh, the life of Dorothy Day, or at, you know, a homeless shelter where we discover Jesus or singing some certain song. Um, so I, I don't know if I would say that was helpful in that regard, because yeah. I'm not sure about the category of finding. But, um, I would say, I mean, you would be right to say, it was sort of Tigger who said that, you know, no one ever really is a Christian. You're always in the process of becoming one. Mm -hmm. And by that, he meant that Christianity is always an activity. It's something you're always doing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I can't say, I can no longer say I'm a baseball player because I don't play baseball. I really like baseball, and I would love to play it again, uh, um, but I can't say I'm a baseball player. And in a lot of ways, Christianity is that is something that we're continually practicing and doing. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a full-time sort of commitment, so to speak, um, yeah. and activity by which I would be very reluctant to say you're ever, ever already there. Yeah. Um, and so I would I would put this book and this activity to this part of the journey itself. Right. And um, maybe it was helpful. Maybe it wasn't. Uh, maybe time will tell. Uh, in that regard, um, although I had a blast writing the book, mm. um, it was a blast to write. It was fun. Um, it was scary at times, um, as you said earlier. Sometimes, 
sometimes certain kinds of pious people don't have the best sense of humor and what I find funny. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they find worth pulling out the guns. <laughs> um, I had to flee a number of pastors' offices. <laughs> and that's the one thing, you know, my hands are tied at the Mennonite, so you better be able to run. Right. Um, <laughs> that's right. Uh, uh, Jesus said to flee to another town, so I was doing a lot of fleeing. Um, that's <laughs> Well, yeah, so. you know, and, and I, I'd probably make people nervous by my saying this, especially in my church, but I don't really know if I've ever found Jesus, but he seems to keep on finding me. So uh, everywhere I go. Yeah, he won't leave you alone. It's he does. obnoxious at times. And he, he keeps giving me a whole new set of problems I, I never would have had without him. So. Well, that's what Howard would say. He said the most comforting thing, he, he made, once made a joke about people saying they take a lot of comfort in the Gospels, because he mm-hmm. said, they always introduce me to a whole set of problems I never knew I had. Right. Uh, yeah. Like, I, I couldn't remember if I'd picked that up from Willamont or Hawass, but I knew it was one of them, and I agreed really? wholeheartedly. So. Yeah, I'm sure they trade off back and forth quite often. So. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. let, me, uh, let me ask you. I, I had one listener, uh, Brandon Hancock, who you know. Oh. And, Hello, uh, Brandon. And I think his questions are actually intended to be a little tongue-in-cheek, but, uh, you know, I hope so. the, the first question that he has is, how can I fight off the devil if I'm a pacifist? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, I mean, that's the trick. Do not resist evil. What does it look like? That's right. Um, <laughs> exactly. Write, write a book uh, and, and make fun of, of the devil and all the devil's cohorts. Um, or just give into it and hope for the best. That's right. Well, uh, by the way, Brandon is just about to be published himself, and I, I, I've forgotten the company now, but I know they've uh, published a few of Harawas's books in the past. So. I, I'm thinking he's. Well, I, I don't want to say if it's incorrect, but I think he's going through Wiffenstock, one of the imprints of Wiffenstock. He has chatted I, recently about it. Um, um, so it would either be Cascade or Pickwick, uh, but one of the Wiffenstock imprints. Yeah, I think you're um, right. and it looks stellar stuff too. I mean, it looks great. So, yeah. um, after you buy my book, uh, right. then, you know, then if you have any money left over, pick up his stuff. Well, his book's not out yet, so you know, Devil okay, Persona okay. first. There you go. Um, and then his other question is also a good one since uh, since it is Comic Book Day. He says, uh, what is your favorite superhero, and whether, as a pacifist, do you object to superhero violence? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right, that is, uh, uh, can a pacifist read, you know, uh, uh, violent stories and stuff like this? You know, I'm almost embarrassed to say, because one of my favorite comics is probably the one of the most violent comics you can read. But I I love the writings of Garth Ennis. Um, and I think some of his stuff is so gratuitously violent to make certain points about violence in our culture. Anyhow, as he kind of uh, um, even belittles the sort of superhero genre. But his comic, The Boys, um, I find incredible. Now, I do not advocate for any of your pious listeners to even look at that comic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen some Garth Ennis stuff. I know what you mean. They, we, we, talk, we have a pretty uh, liberal dialogue in the comic shop about stuff like that. So it's, it's, Yeah, his stuff, The Preacher, I mean, it's, it's got some stellar stuff. But, again, he, he's so sometimes overly trying to be irreverent, I think. Yeah. Um, that's unfortunate. I think he actually lose some some readers that would be yeah. great to have. But, uh in terms of, you know, mainstream, I mean, you know, uh, 
I love all the mutants, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and I've always kind of liked Nightcrawler because he was one of those guys who always tried to battle with this commitment to God and I can't really fight or at least can't, you know, wound another person. But, uh, no, as a pacifist, I have to get my violence out somewhere. Right. And it's through the genre of comic books, for that, sure. That's kind of what I say, too. Yeah, certain certain movies and comic books, it's the only it's the only uh, place I have to release. Really that we have. Because, you know, uh, down to especially superhero comics, they're just about one guy punching another guy in the face, you know? So. Oh, it gets so ridiculous. And, and, and I do enjoy some of the mainstream stuff, but I don't know if you've ever read Brian Vaughn. Um, yeah. The stuff why the last man is yeah, he has a yeah he has a new uh, series coming out um, I think it's called Saga um, mm. that looks great and then Bill Willingham's Fables is stellar yeah. uh, Jeff Lemire's Sweet Tooth and on the off chance that Evan Dorkin is listening uh, anything that Evan Dorkin writes um, <laughs> Milk and Cheese Beast of Burden all that stuff heck of yeah. a yeah, I've I've read a lot of that stuff. It's really good. Um, very good to hear. And that's, that's the other thing. Brandon's question about superheroes, I guess it assumes that uh, people think that's all that's in comic books, too, but there really are a lot of good things. I think Morning Glories is one of the most entertaining reads. I don't know if you've got to read that one yet. I have. We have a stellar store here that actually sort of focuses on sort of graphic novels and independent titles. Um, and stuff like that, and uh, they have some trade paperbacks in Morning Glory that I've split through, but I have never, never sat down and read it. It's kind of an interesting concept, but, um, well, I have taken, like, so much of your time, and I really appreciate you being on the podcast today, and, uh, I again, I recommend to all my listeners out there, um, go get this book, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading more of your books, because uh, The Devil Wears uh, Nada was my first experience into your writing, and I, I'm really going to enjoy... Well, hopefully it will not be your last. No, I'm... I'm uh, <laughs> As as uh, as my paychecks come in, and well, let's say after taxes, hopefully I'll have a little money left to buy some books, and we'll see how that works. But uh, yeah, I'm especially uh, oh, the title is leaving me right now. But uh, third third way third way allegiance third way yeah, which actually has some Nazarene connections. Uh, Matt Litton uh, wrote the forward for that, and uh, Chuck C, who's a Nazarene minister, actually did the discussion cool. questions for that book. Matthew Cole and I just did a, a discussion kind of on uh, on that topic last week where we talked about through uh, Action Comics 900 where Superman renounces his American citizenship and we kind of used that to talk about the kingdom of God and you know what means in, in in the church that you know we really that really could be useful. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much. I'm going to stop the recording, but uh, but I'm sure our listeners would want to get in contact with you somehow. Is there is there a way um, that if they wanted to, uh, or, or do you even want people, uh, no. you know, contacting you? I don't want to like give any information away, but if there's any, I, I feel like yeah, I feel like all the scary people in the world have already found me. Oh, so uh, <laughs> that could have really hurt. Yeah. Uh, two 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 ways. Um, one is simply email, which is just uh, fyork at vwc.edu, which is the uh, Virginia Wesleyan College account. It's just fyork at vwc.edu. And then uh, my website blog is at The Other Journal, um, a very, very good journal called The Other Journal, and I'm one of their bloggers, and it's called Amish Jihadi. Oh, uh, um, Amish Jihadi. So I can't remember what the actual 
uh, URL is, but it's this other journal, the Amish Jihadist or Amish Jihadi, and you'll find it. Although they are changing web servers oh. today, so they are down for like the next two days, and then they're back up. But it's Stellar Magazine. They do incredible stuff. Um, to be honest, outside of the magazine G's, which I don't know if you've ever uh, read, um, out of Canada, um, it's an advertisement-free, incredible mag. If you like Devil Wears Not at all. Uh, you'll love G's. Um, but outside the magazine G's, the other journals are some of sort of my favorite stuff. So um, you can find me on there as well. All right. Well, thank you again. And, and listeners, don't don't just go for the stuff on the bestseller list that you see in your store. Dig deeper. Find uh, that pearl of great price. That's you know, there's a lot of things out there like this book and others that. Uh, you know, it may not be something you're going to see when you uh, turn on your internet in the morning, the first thing that hits you. But they're really, it's it's worthy uh, worthy things to dig deeper and find stuff like this. So, well, Trip, thank you very much. Don't hang up your phone, but I'm going to end uh, the recording sure. right now. So, well, thank, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for being on Voices in My Head today. You've been listening to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of Rick Lee James. If you'd like to know more about me, my ministry, my music, my life, go to my website at rickleejames.com. You can also download my free mobile app from iTunes and on the Android Marketplace. And I'd love this to be a community experience, so if you call 937-505-0162, you can leave feedback, you can give me suggestions for future shows, you can even record comments that I can play on the next podcast. So let's make this something really great together. 937-505-0162. Thank you so much for listening to Voices in My Head, the official Rick Lee James podcast. God bless.